Lord, we study together. We ask that through your Holy Spirit, you'd open our hearts and minds. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. This morning we're going to continue to work our way through the Beatitudes and to keep them in the context, I will read them again this time up through verse 9, starting with verse 2 of chapter 5 of Matthew. And Jesus opened his mouth and taught them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. And blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Today we're looking at uh, verse... Eight, the fifth beatitude, blessed are the pure in heart. And this one is uh, one where you, you, you realize that, that you see the, the work of God is now beginning to really transform the believer. They've come to the throne of God. They realize that they're poor in spirit, that they have nothing to offer to God for their salvation. And they mourn over their sin that has caused them to be separated from God but begin to rejoice over the reality that God has blessed them through salvation to come into His presence. And the, the, the humbleness of accepting Jesus' gift, that sense of meekness, transforming them into a point where they become the kind of people that hunger and thirst after the righteousness of God, after His holiness. Uh, we hungered and thirst after so many things in our lives but as we, as we turn to Christ, as, as Christ becomes real to us, as the Holy Spirit continues to minister in us and causes us to grow, the hungering and thirsting after Christ is something that is supposed to continue to grow in us as well. And as we hunger and thirst, we become, hopefully, the transformation as it begins becomes more like Christ. We actually start to see the world through His eyes and hear through His ears and reach with His hands in a sense through ours, and we actually start to extend His mercy, His grace, His forgiveness to others. And in the process of that, Jesus says we are to be pure of heart. Remember that there is a, that the Old Testament and New Testament both say that we are to be holy as God is holy. And as soon as I say that, every one of us has to come to the point where we say, but how? And the reality is is that we can't, He can, and we're going to get into that this morning. So blessed is the pure in heart. The idea of, of, of blessed, again, is that idea of one who is, and the word happy is, is tied to this, rejoicing. Uh, but it's a fuller picture than that. It's a, a sense of being at peace with God, resting in God's grace now, and knowing that it is forever, now and forever. So blessed is, is the, are the pure in heart. And the idea I'm going to jump from before I get to pure is the idea of what the heart is referring to here. 
Uh, I think most of us understand that it's uh, the idea of the center or the core of, of our being and this, uh, our personality, our character, the center of our mind, our will. Uh, it might be, in a sense, a contrast. It's what is internal versus what is external. It's, a, it's the core of who we are. So blessed are those who, at their very core, are pure. Now, we look at that and we say pure of heart, and then we realize that Jeremiah chapter 17, verse 9 says, The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately sick. Who can understand it? But yet we're to be pure at heart, and yet it's deceitful above all things. And we have this... this contrast working at us within us. And I was looking at this verse. The idea of deceitful is to be fraudulent, crooked, dishonest, polluted. So, fraudulent, crooked, dishonest, and polluted above all things is my heart. It is desperately sick. The idea of it, that it is feeble, weak, and also tied to this phrase is the idea of being melancholy, self-absorbed with my own woes. You know, woe is me. <laughs> and we go through the list of things that we can think of that have brought us down, the circumstances around our life, etc. Incurably sick. Who can, and, then, and then he adds this phrase, who can understand it? Or, or basically, who can figure it out? Who can know it? Uh, how can you possibly end up trusting and depending on it if it's this sick? Uh, even over time, as you look at your heart, who, how will you ever be able to trust in it if you know that it is this, it's in this condition? So this is the, the, the picture that, that, that Jeremiah describes that we're in. And yet Jesus is saying, we need to be pure a heart. Jesus in his own comment concerning the heart uh, in Matthew chapter 15. I, in fact, I'm going to turn to that. Uh, Matthew chapter 15, verses 1 through 11. And Jesus is talking with the, the Pharisees and the scribes. They're at issue with him over the keeping of certain traditions, especially in this case, the washing of hands before you eat. And I think I'll just read the, the verses to you. Then, ver, then, then Pharisees and scribes came to Jesus from Jerusalem and said, Why do your disciples break the tradition of the elders? For they do not wash their hands when they eat. Now, the washing of the hands for especially the, the, the scribes and, and the Pharisees was more than this. Some, a, a proper washing went up to the elbows and, and, and it was done in a prescribed way. And the disciples weren't doing this. And, and, and so they're, they're, Jesus is being challenged. Why aren't your disciples following this tradition? And Jesus answers them in verse 3. Why do you break the commandment of God for, saking, uh, 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 for the sake of your tradition? For God commanded, honor your father and your mother, and whoever's rival, uh, whoever reviles father or mother surely, uh, excuse me, must surely die. But you say, if anyone tells his father or mother what you should have gained from me is given to God, meaning Corbin, he need not honor his father. 
So for the sake of your tradition, you have made void the word of God. You hypocrites. Well did Isaiah prophesy of you when he said, This people honors me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. In vain do they worship me, teaching as doctrines the commandments of men. What he was saying is the Pharisees, you're more concerned about your traditions and whether those things are being kept. And here you are ignoring the very commandment of God to honor your mother and your father. Now, not necessarily every Pharisee was doing this, but it had become a popular trend within the framework of the, uh, the Pharisees and the scribes to take their, their resources and, in a sense, dedicate them to God and for the purpose of ministry, and as a result, unable to use it to take care of their parents. The term was Corban. And so, Jesus is saying, here you take a tradition and you put it over the law of God. And you're asking me about washing of hands. And so he calls them out on this and basically says, you hypocrites. You, you honor me with your lips, but your heart isn't in it. This isn't the only time that Jesus says this to them. But he adds to this uh, what actually defiles a person. And he called the people to him and he said to them, verse 10 of, of, of chapter 15, Hear and understand. It is not what goes into the mouth that defiles a person, but what comes out of the mouth. This defiles the person. He's saying it's not the stuff from the outside in, it's the stuff from the inside out that brings about what actually defiles the person. This was so contrary to the way the Pharisees and the scribes were teaching. They were so busy keeping the exterior that they actually came to a point where they... They, they didn't pay any attention to the, the, the very core of who they were. They were able to do some very despicable things, including the, 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 the heavy uh, interest rates of money and, and other things to, to, that were completely against the Scripture as they took advantage of people. And, and they were the, the, what everybody, in a sense, looked up to. They were saying, there's, there's what a righteous man looks like when they would look at a Pharisee or a scribe. In a sense, you might even say as, as, as a person of, of faith uh, raised in a Jewish home, you might turn around and say, that's the way I want to be. I want to look that way. I want to be that way. And not so much concerned about how the heart was as much as how you perceived me. And was I looking the part? So, Jeremiah says the heart is deceitful above all things. Jesus says that we need to be more careful about what's inside than outside. Don't worry about the food as much as what is in the heart. And, and so, what goes into the mouth is not the problem, it's what comes out. And Jesus says that what comes out of the mouth is what is the content of the heart, by the way. Jesus' concern for the scribes and the Pharisees in their example comes up again in verse uh, chapter 23 of Matthew where he lays out what is traditionally called the seven woes as he, as he goes through that. I'm not going to go through that this morning, but his general concern was is that there was an, an emphasis on the external and not the internal again. And, and as I was saying, the scribes, the Pharisees, their lifestyles, 
were what was the public standard. By the way, you'll notice how a, a Pharisee, uh, when they were looking at Jesus, were saying he hangs out with and dines with the the, the sinners and, and and other people and stuff like that. Anybody who wasn't able to keep the standards of a Pharisee was a sinner. In fact, there's one that uh, uh, Spurgeon pointed out. He said that if one of their rulings or their, 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 their ways of looking at what maybe defiled me as a, as a Pharisee or a scribe was that if I were to sit on a piece of clothing that belonged to a commoner, one who was unable to read the Scriptures on his own, not, that, not a Gentile at this point, that would cause me to be unclean. So, when he looked at Jesus, what he's saying is Jesus is hanging around with the common folks. He's not hanging around with the pure, elite scribes and Pharisees. What Jesus is saying is the scribes and Pharisees may be paying a lot of lip service to what appears to be the way to be, but their heart isn't in it. In chapter uh, 5, going back to the, the first chapter of the Sermon on the Mount, verse 20, he says something that's very interesting to the disciples. He says, For I tell you, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and the Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Such a, a, a counter to the, the idea. Well, wait a minute, the scribes and the Pharisees, aren't they the, the examples of what we're to be? That's the way people would hold on. And Jesus says, if your righteousness doesn't exceed theirs. He created an, almost a, a, a situation that would be impossible to think of until you put it all together and realize that Jesus was saying again, unless your heart is surrendered to Christ and to the things of God, so that your thinking, your, your inner being, your, your mind, your will is conforming to the things of God. That you have His eyes, His compassion, His mercy. That you mourn over sin. That you realize that He is the only way to salvation. It's not the sacrifices that save you, but the heart that brings the sacrifices that's broken over sin. Unless you get to that point, you're no different than the scribes and the Pharisees. By the way, what is he saying about the average person in the scribes and the Pharisees here? Think about the inverse of the way it's put. You know, they aren't going to see the kingdom of God. If that's all they have is the outside, it's not enough. So, one thing becomes clear, I hope, this morning is that that righteousness, holiness, purity comes from the heart and works from the inside out. The idea of being pure is the idea of being holy, set apart, righteous, clean, uh, cleansed without blemish. To be single-minded, pointing towards God and His Word. Psalm 1 would be the idea, again, I, I use it frequently with the, the Beatitudes because it starts off with blessed. And then you look at Psalm 1 where it says, blessed is the man who he's not taking his counsel from, from the, the, the way the world thinks 
or the way the, he doesn't stand where the wicked stand. He doesn't sit where the people mock God, but his delight is in the law of the Lord. And on this he meditates. He doesn't take other people's way of doing things. He gets into it himself. And the law of the Lord, the Word of God becomes personal. And he meditates on it. It says day and night, which means he looks for ways to apply it to all aspects of his life. Psalm 119.10 says that with my whole heart I will seek you. And so there's something that is going on. When we start to approach God and the desire to to know Him and to love Him and to seek after Him because what He has done for us, that He has saved us, there becomes this transition to want to be holy. Not that I have to be holy, because if it's based on what I have to, I can't get there. It's based on what Christ has done and I receive it and I desire it to own me, to rule me, to control my mind, my heart, my will. To be pure in heart all the more is that you will want to hunger and thirst after God's righteousness. Spurgeon, uh, again, I went to, uh, to look at a couple of things and, and he pointed out, uh, it doesn't say here, and I really appreciated this way of looking at it because he took the opposite. He says, it doesn't say here to be pure in language. It doesn't say here to be pure in your actions. It doesn't say here to be Pure in your ceremonies or raiment. You can see those are Spurgeon's types of words. Raiment, your clothing and, and, and your outer wear. You see, the Pharisees, and, and they got so caught up with, with wanting to look righteous and holy that it says in, in Deuteronomy that, the, that they would put the Scriptures on their wrists and, 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 and around their forehead. They would they would make these these things the phylacteries but they make them extra big so they stood out, and they would go extra long on their tassels and stuff so that you would be sure to see their prayer aprons and and all the things that they were do, were doing so they exaggerated it so that they would stand out and I don't know whether it was contest contest in the sense of who had the biggest uh, wristbands or whatever but. The idea was is that they, they overemphasized all these things, so the raiment was very important. And, and, and it's not the food that matters. It's the, it, it, it's, and, and, and then he pointed out, uh, Spurgeon pointed out, and he says, and that's interesting, that all man asks of us is external. We really don't, as a, as a whole, as a, you know, what we ask of our neighbors and anybody else, it's always external behavior. We're not asking for, you know. And, and so he says we're concerned more about the language, action, ceremonies, and raiment, and food, even from the framework of the church. But he says if your actions should appear pure, yet if the motive should be impure, that will nullify them all. In other words, if the heart's not in it, it doesn't matter how you act. It's not going to make a difference in your relationship with God. It might, it might fare well with the people around you. You, you know, you might be, you could be actually one of the most popular uh, orators of the uh, of Scripture and not be right with God in this in the sense of of, of what 
Jesus is saying here. And over the over the the years, even in my lifetime, we've seen a number of times where people who were very popular in in in, in their ministry turned out to be very corrupt in their hearts. I was looking at this in a sense of contrast. Jesus calls us to have a pure heart, therefore I must start with what? An impure heart. And the idea of an impure heart, a heart that does not seek after God, a heart that does not hunger and thirst after His righteousness, who doesn't rest in His salvation, is the condition of every unsaved man. So that's where it begins you know, with everybody. It's an impure heart. Condition of every unsaved person. And our only desire at that point really is to gain the world. But what does that profit you if you lose your soul? You see where it's going here. Primary goal uh, is, is to gain the things of the world. The money or knowledge fame, and then I just put the love of dot, 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 anything other than God first. person who is spiritually blind with an impure heart has a very low opinion of Scripture. At best, they'll look at, and, and I can recall this in my own lifetime for myself, they will look at Scripture as good moral teachings of, uh, of a man with high ideals. Any serious look at sin or the sinner or the need for a Savior will be pushed aside because it causes man to have a very negative opinion of himself and low self-esteem. You know, in the 80s, and I don't know, I, I never heard it go again past this point, but in the 80s, there were a number of pastors who were taken to court because their counsel was of, was based on scripture, and it caused people to have such self low esteem, uh, low self low self esteem, that they 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 couldn't function, that they were hurt, they were wounded, they were damaged, and they tried to get compensation for it. In fact, there was a point in time where we, you had to make sure in your insurance for church that the pastor was covered with an additional clause in his insurance and covering to cover his counseling when we would use the word biblical term or biblical counseling because he might be sued. Um, we want so, you know, we look at, uh, the world looks at Christianity and, and they, they, they see it as, as something that's almost, something that, that, that is harmful to man. Harmful to people. Uh, a lawsuit in, in, in uh, uh, Illinois, um, again back in the, in, in the 80s, uh, was a person, a parent, uh, being sued by the state because their children were in a Christian home, going to a Christian church and going to a Christian school and therefore had no opportunity to know any other thing and therefore were being brainwashed and being deprived of their rights to pursue happiness based on the idea of being exposed to a number of things so they could choose. Now, it didn't go anywhere. 
but just the fact that a court even entertained it to let it be filed shows the, the culture that, that, that basically says, we want to be careful with the Scripture. It's okay for you guys if you want to believe it and keep it to yourself, but don't, don't, don't try to make it a standard that everybody has to come to, to to be right with God. You can be right with God in a whole bunch of ways. Just leave it alone. But that's not what Scripture says. Scripture says you can only be right with God through Jesus Christ. And the reality that you are indeed a sinner. That you are indeed lost without the salvation of Christ. And that the idea of to be pure in heart cannot possibly happen without Christ and His His grace and the Holy Spirit working in you. So the world has this low view of Scripture uh, and, and again, not wanting to take uh, any close look at sin or sinner or need of Savior, and they totally miss the Gospel. The, the sadness of this is that it's not just the world in the sense of, of, of how you look at it. I know a number of, of people in, that I have met in my lifetime who had been in church all their lives, including some pastors who had never known the Gospel until they were in the ministry, in some cases, for over, uh, well, I think of one, for over 20 years. And when it hit him, he realized, I've been through uh, seminary. I, you know, he knew the Greek. He could parse the, the Greek words and verbs and all these kinds of things. And he, he came back to basic Bible college where I met him. I asked him, his name is Bob, I said, Bob, why are you going here? You could have gone on to a, you know, this university or this, this program or whatever and gotten your doctorate. And, and he says, I realized I had to start over and get back to the basics. I really came to that point where I really, truly wanted to know who Jesus Christ and his salvation is. I had to get back to the foundation. He totally missed the gospel. He had basically what you might call a feel-good version of Scripture that never dealt with actually pointing out sin and its need for a Savior. In a process like that, and the world as well, where they look at Jesus as possibly a good man, the Christ Christ and, and, and the cross are seen as a great injustice of a narrow-minded group of people whose boat was being rocked. And, and that they, 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 it was a sad tragedy of, 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 of things that led to his death of a good man. And I was looking at this again, the, the total missing of the gospel there. And then I thought about this, and I was looking at the, you know, the, over the last hundred years, the emphasis for man to look at is in a sense of why man's heart is sick. And it is interesting. Culture will agree with that as a general statement. There's a lot of, 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 of sickness of, of the heart. But they won't talk about sin. Instead, they'll talk about the environment that someone was raised in. Or they'll talk about the... the the idea of, of, of if only they had the opportunity of a better education. Do you realize that we've used that theory, that thought over the last years uh, in, in the United States? If we'll just 
educate people better, they won't do, and then we can put a whole list of things out there, they won't do drugs. If you can just educate them better about the, the, the risks and, the, and, the, and, the, and the, the problems that they cause and, and, and all that kind of thing. If, if you can just show them what, what you know, that, that unprotected sex is bad uh, and educate them as to all the consequences of that, uh, the, the, they, they'll, they'll, you know, teen pregnancies will go down and, and abortions will go down, all this kind of stuff. And if we could just educate them about this or that, or if we can lift them up out of their environment and put this in. And the bottom line is, is that it doesn't matter where you are, what culture you're in, or what part of the world. And the bottom line is, is that Jeremiah is right. The heart is sick. It is corrupt. It, is, 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 it needs a Savior. Changing the environment is not going to change the person in the sense of their ability to get to God, to get to heaven. Throwing more education or more money at it. That's what our culture likes to do. We like to throw money at something and say, fix it. By the way, look at the national debt, how much money we throw at stuff, and you'll realize as you look at the condition of our country that it obviously doesn't work. There's that social gospel intent of, of even from the churches of taking the attitude, and don't misunderstand this, I believe this is a right format, but the way it's used is wrong. What would Jesus do in this situation? And so they'll turn around and they'll open up a, a soup house or they'll open up a, a, a place for, for homeless people and this type of thing. But they forget to deal with the very core of the problem. The sinful heart. And as a result, approaching trying to change the world to make it better without the gospel as the foundation. So I get to this point in my thoughts and I wrote it down here in my notes. Okay. So how does it work? How does one get a pure heart? How do I clean it? What book do I read? What DVD do I watch? What, what program do I put myself into in such a way that I can clean my heart? That I can do it? Because that's what the world asks. How do I do it? And the answer is, you don't. God does it. What book, what DV, DVD, what, what, what is it? There's only one place to start. The God-breathed Word. The Bible. God does what is necessary. He brings salvation. It is the indwelling of the Holy Spirit at the point that one confesses the need of a Savior and that Jesus Christ is the only one. Confess with your mouth. Believe in your heart. This corrupting. How does that happen? The Holy Spirit influences it. The Holy Spirit sets up the situations to bring you to that point where you say, I am unclean. I have a sinful heart. I desperately need a Savior. I am helplessly, hopelessly lost. And now that I am poor in spirit, I cry, I cringe, I mourn over my sin. 
How do I clean it? I don't. God does it through the indwelling of the Holy Spirit, causing me to understand the foundational part of the Bible, which is the Gospel message, Jesus Christ is death, burial, and resurrection, why He emptied Himself for my sake, for our sake. Any do-it-yourself method to trying to be a right person, a good person, a, a decent person, is doomed to failure in the sense that it will not get you right with God. I wrote down for myself, if it's my work, then I'm going to be just as, my heart is going to be just as dirty at the end as when I started. Now, I thought that was pretty profound. <laughs> and, 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 and I was really elated when I found that the same words were, were, were Martin Lloyd-Jones had used the same words. I thought, I'm right in there. <laughs> and then he says, and, but then he added the phrase, or dirtier, basically. We have to understand we are sinners with deceitful hearts and, and, and we will, it will deceive us. We, will, we won't see it without the Holy Spirit opening up our eyes and our mind and our heart to it. The work begins and ends with God. Philippians 1.6 says that God began a good work in you he, and He's going to what? Complete it. God began it. He's going to complete it. So I put it all together for myself here. God brings us to a point where we are poor in spirit, mourn over our sin, humbly accept His grace, begin to hunger and thirst after His righteousness. As a result, His mercy overwhelms us as to what He's done for us and it begins to come to something that we offer and extend to other people and the desire to be holy, to be separate, to be His children, and to realize that it begins and ends in Him, and His Word is the only source of the information that will bring us there. His Word is very definite, though, in pointing out that this will automatically begin war in, your, in, your, in, in you. Ephesians says there is a war going on, that we need to put on... The, the armor of, 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 of Christ, the, 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 the gospel armor is sometimes referred to. Ephesians chapter 6. Galatians 5.17 tells us very clearly there's a, there is a battle going on now between the spirit and the flesh. I am still in this flesh that likes the worldly things and the worldly pursuits. And I'm in a constant battle with the way the world will distract me and my heart will just kind of drift. And it's going to be something that's going to go on the rest of my life. So as I realize this, I realize too though, wretched man that I am, sound familiar? The end of Romans chapter 7. Wretched man that I am, where's, and I'm going to paraphrase it basically, where's my hope? Jesus Christ, my Lord. Because when I rest in His grace and in His salvation, the one thing I can be sure of is the end of chapter 7 to the beginning of chapter 8. There is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. That I am joint heirs with Jesus in what He has given me. And as He builds in me the desire to be holy, to hunger and to thirst after Him, it will continue to grow 
to where it, it, it becomes kind of a cycle. Uh, it's, it's something that uh, as, I, as, as, as I come closer to knowing who He is and, and what He's done and understanding it better, it causes the desire to grow to even want to know Him more. says that, it, that people who are pure in heart, as He's doing this work in us, that we are going to see Him. I want to make sure that you understand that that's not just future context. I believe it means now and, in, and, and to the future. And it's in a, in a, it comes in different ways. But I, I believe we can see Him now in the sense of our heart and, our, and the very essence of who we are. We begin to, to identify Him. Where's one place that Paul says God is revealed in nature? Have you, all you have to do is, is really look close. In fact, you don't even have to look close. Very clearly it says that God is revealed through His creation. His Scripture is God-breathed Word. Where is the, is the person who has become poor in spirit and hungering and thirsting after the God going to get his understanding of who God is? Right here. It can't be a, a, a weekly encounter and be successful at really changing you. It's something that we, we, we desire, we preach, we talk about, and, and, and every believer I, that I ever talk to works at trying to get it to the point where it's a daily encounter with His Word. Reading it, thinking about it, meditating on it. So we, we, we see God in His creation, we see God in His God-breathed Word, we see God in His church. And the first thing that comes to mind is, wait a minute, what about all the hypocrites? Isn't that the argument that people use? Okay. That is a misunderstanding of the word hypocrite for, in the sense. What they're talking about is, there's a bunch of sinners in your church. And I can't argue. I are one. I know what fixes the problem now and forever in the sense of, of what is right. And when I come to the church together, we work our way through our failures and our successes, our encouragement, coming alongside when we're, when we're, we're successful, and coming alongside when we need direction and help. And it's through the church. God begins, you know, Christ said, this is my church, I'm building it. And by the way, who can't stand against it? Who will not prevail against it? The devil. And anybody who turns around and says, I'm really concerned this may be the last generation of the church. There's no such thing. What Christ builds stands, period. We see Him in nature. We see Him in His Word. We see Him in His church. And in the framework of church, I, I, I broke it down to the idea of fellowship together. Worship together. 
As we worship this morning, I heard several amens. That means you were saying, you agreed with what we sang. As we worship together, there was a sense of community, church, together, that said, we are in agreement and harmony about who Christ is. We are in harmony about what He did on the cross. And we ask Him to, to draw us even closer. Ultimately, Paul says we are going to see Him how? Face to face. When the perfect comes, we're going to see Him face to face. I want to make sure you understand this isn't a passive process. We don't sit and wait for it to happen. We are told to be active in the process. God has asked us to, to be involved in the process. He says that we are to seek Him. We are to look for Him. We are to seek Him. He says if you do that, and it's an absolute promise, if you will seek Me, you will find Me. Ask. Ask about the questions. Ask what you need to know. And, and by the way, we may ask the wrong questions to start with. And as a result, He'll redirect us in His Word until we get to the right format and the questions. But He's saying ask, and it will be given. It'll be, you'll receive it. You know, knock, and it'll be open to you. He's not talking about, you know, things of the world. He's talking about a relationship with Him. The more you ask, the more you seek, the more you find. It increases your hunger and your thirst. Causes a desire for more. And the more you ask, the more you seek, you find, the more you hunger and thirst. And it causes a desire for more. The more you have, the more you seek and you ask. You see, it, it, it's, it's a growing process. It's a, it's a cycle of, 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 of upward growth. Pure in heart comes through confessing with your mouth, believing in your heart that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God. It begins there with the indwelling of the Holy Spirit and it's resting in the Gospel and the Gospel alone to save you. To rest in the truth of the Word of God, the God-breathed Scripture we have, the message of the cross, His death, burial, and resurrection as you confess it and accept it and receive it into you is what will cause you to see God. It is what will bring you into the kingdom of God. It is what will satisfy you as you hunger and thirst and seek after Him. I want to encourage you this morning as we go into communion. It is the message of the cross, the very foundation of what we, we talk about and preach about and, and, and sing about. The communion that we share that draws us into this relationship that brings about a pure heart. And there is a day where there will no longer be any shadow, any hint of sin, any hint of competition against what we want to see in God. That's where we are headed, face to face. No he a new heaven, a new earth. But until we get there, are we in a battle zone? Yeah. But don't give in to this, you know, oh, look at all the circumstances, the woe is me. Rest in the awesome reality no matter what is going on around you 
no matter where you are, no matter what your health, no matter what your finances, the reality is Jesus Christ, is, if He's opened your eyes to His salvation, that you rest in His grace, that there is no condemnation, and that you are going to grow in your grace and you, you're going to see God now and forever and ultimately in that process face to face. I ask the ushers to come forward to pass the communion out. I ask the singers to come up, please. And uh, just uh, uh, hold the, the, the communion that is passed to you. Hold it until we've all been served and we'll share it together. Rest in the cross is to rest in the work of Jesus Christ and His death for us, His payment of the wages of sin for us. 
And again, I say, and I, say, I know I share it often this way, but with that being the, the reality as we rest in what Christ has done and, and His paying the price, we will never know by experience the cost of our sins. I don't know if you can, if you, I just want you to see how amazing that is. That because of the purity of the heart of Christ, He covers us in His holiness. That's how we become holy as He is holy. And yet there's a work going on and changing and transforming until that day we're face to face. And we come there again because of the work of the cross. And Jesus, the night that He was betrayed, the, the, the day before the cross, He took the bread and He said that this was His body. After He had given thanks and, and, and prayed, He gave it to the disciples. He said, this is My body that is broken for you. Eat this and do it in remembrance of Me. At the end of the meal, he took the, the cup of wine and held it up. And he didn't say symbolically, but 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 that is the picture: is that this would now become the symbol of his poured-out blood, his gift of, of 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 death, if you will, for us, his death for us, to purchase the covenant of grace that allows us to have the opportunity to come to the throne of God with a confidence as we claim His mercy and grace that it's there for us. He asked us as often as we would drink this cup that we would do it together until He comes again and always in remembrance of Him. Father, again we come thanking You Think of what Jeremiah says about the condition of our heart and and the reality that if we were to trust in it and it alone, how dead we would be. But because You've opened our eyes to Your salvation, we come to You and we say, thank You. But don't allow us, Lord, to be content in anything less than to continue to hunger and thirst, to continue to seek, to continue to ask, to continue to knock, that we might go well past the foundation of, of the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ, of the grace, but get into the, 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 the idea of the holiness that, that You call us to in the sense of how we share Your mercy, how we, we work within the framework of our culture and the people around us and within our very homes and where we work that we might reveal Your glory, that we might draw people close to You, that we might proclaim You wherever we go, both in word and deed, all to Your glory. We worship You, we praise You, we thank You in Jesus' name. Amen.